0: The Confluence Story Gathering podcast is a production of Confluence, a community supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at ConfluenceProject.org. 10, 15 years ago, you never heard of the word Cowlitz other than the Cowlitz River, Cowlitz County. You didn't know there was a tribe. We've come back with strength and the the power of deprivation and desperation, and that's what a non-treaty tribe encounters.
1: Welcome to the Confluence Story Gathering podcast, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. Story gathering has two meanings. We gather together and we gather stories. In this case, stories from a Native perspective. In this episode, we're going to hear from Cowlitz Nation spiritual leader, Tana Engdahl. She was one of several native thinkers and leaders who spoke at a Confluence story gathering at Washington State University in Vancouver, Washington. Tana is going to introduce herself and provide some historical context of the time when tribes like the Cowlitz negotiated treaties with the U.S. government. For more than 100 years, the Cowlitz existed without a treaty and only gained federal recognition in 2000. Here's Tana.
0: I'm Tana Ingdahl, the spiritual leader of the Cowlitz tribe. For as long as I have been a spiritual leader, about five years, we've had a male counterpart. I was the female. I represented the female energies. And our male spiritual leader has retired. He is 92. He wrote a great deal of the history of our people. And when we were very young, uh, he was the vice chairman and I was secretary treasurer of our tribe. The chairman died and so we all bumped up and he became chairman and I was vice chairman. So we have a long history. I went away and worked in Indian programs and a number of agencies but came back after retirement. The uh, French fur trappers came into our country and married quite a few of our our Cowlitz women. And they were a lot like us. They were outdoors. I mean, they they lived off the rivers and, and the lands and whatever the resources they could, you know, the campfires, and they lived a lot like us. So it was an easy, probably, marriage when the French fur trappers entered into our territory. Before that, uh, what was the old saying here in this whole continent? The Spanish wanted our souls, the French wanted our furs, the Americans wanted our land, and they took it. It is very hard for an Indian family or an Indian tribe to live without resources. And that was a very desperate time uh, when the Americans came in and started taking the land. But during that period of time, during that transition period before they started the treaty process, and we had a number of fur trappers in here, the voyageurs that came in and married into our tribes and lived pretty much like we did in our villages before the death sweep took most of our, destroyed our village life. You're all aware of that part, right? When they 1830s, over here in in our part of the world, the diseases came in, in subsequent years, it was waves, 1830, 1831, 1832, 1833, and sometimes even, skip a couple of years, into the 1840s. There were approximately about 55,000 Native people in southwest Washington. And at the end of that period, Uh, it took out about 98%, maybe about 500 living left. The 29 villages on the Cowlitz River alone, people died entirely in a village. There was no one left to bury the dead. Many times, uh, the carrion birds, the marauding animals, did the cleanup work. The people dropped where they fell. The disease was so vicious. Fort Vancouver, one of uh, the lieutenants to a camp he could see from the tower when they couldn't see any more signs of life he went down and burned the village. In a lot of the the archaeology now you'll find what they're looking for is the ashes for village sites because uh, many of them were burned. Others were just flat out abandoned and later discovered by a settler, something who, they took apart the, the plank houses and repurposed them for barns and, and houses, settle, settlement houses. So that period of time when we were already in a weakened state and there were so few of us left, that's when, for us they started the treaty process. We're going to take what's left of you and and take you totally out of your country and put you in in a place that you know nothing about. And that's why we wouldn't leave. The other reason we wouldn't leave is that we wouldn't leave our ancestors. It meant a lot to Cowlitz people. still means a lot. We don't have a ceremony. We don't have a prayer that we don't call on the ancestors. And basically that was our secret weapon to get past that horrible time in history when we were so diminished. We prayed and prayed, not just to the high God, but we asked our ancestors for support, those ancestors that we walked upon. We have a very strong, strong belief in that spirit, the spirit of, of those who held us and got us through the point where we are today. We're talking about sacred sites. Well, we can probably spend a lot of time on sacred sites because that is really real to all of our people. Those areas that where we, we know that there is a connection from the two-legged to a great spiritual creative force. We know those areas are special for something beyond just us. We rely on those areas and, and what we want more than anything is respect for those areas. Not just the animals that live on them or in them, but for those areas themselves. The feeling of a connection that has kept all of us basically alive.
1: You're listening to the spiritual leader of the Cowlitz Indian tribe, Tana Angdal. She was speaking about the history of her tribe at the time of European settlement in the Pacific Northwest. Tana was appearing at a Confluence story gathering in Vancouver, Washington. Later in the program, she shared what it's been like for the Cowlets to survive as a tribe.
0: We, the Cowlets, do not have a treaty. We're called a non-treaty tribe. That has as many terrible sequences as you might imagine. We had a failed treaty attempt, and when all of our chiefs and sub-chiefs met, in Chehalis, about 1865. The deal was that they would move us to the coast. They had bought land adjacent to the Quinault. And they would uh, move us over there, and we could have a reservation. Our chiefs and subchiefs refused. They would not leave our lands. And there was a feeling then if, if we stayed in place, we would get to keep these lands. Of course, that didn't happen. The territorial governor, um, Isaac, I understand it was about the last of the treaty process when he was trying to work with the Cowlitz and the Chehalis. The Chehalis were able to stay in place and they did sign a treaty. But the Cowlitz would not move over to the coast. In fact, uh, we were not on friendly terms with the Quinault. In my own opinion, at that time, I don't think the Quinault were friendly with a whole lot of the other tribes either that were being pushed over in that direction. But eventually, uh, Isaacs, the governor, left in just a fury. Some say he just walked out in 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 a drunken rage just left but he also left us hanging in about what was it 1863 then our Cowlitz lands were open for white settlement and we were scattered to the winds we had to uh, to stay in place we had to adapt quickly to the to the world around us so many of our people learned how to go into the logging camps, to work for the farms. They applied themselves in so many different ways to try to stay in place. We didn't want to leave. Some did go north, and some went to other reservations. But we were all around. We were, of course, pressured immediately out of the the Vancouver area, Fort Vancouver, where we had camps there, and further and further upriver until finally we were just pushed out of our lands, and um, people had to adapt in order to survive and live. I have no idea how hard that was to live in place and try to feed starving families. My grandmother uh, was born in 1875. At the, about the end of that period, she took in laundry, still part of that, trying to survive planting gardens, planting food, trying to do anything. Uh, We had no hunting and fishing rights. That didn't mean we stopped hunting or fishing. I remember my uncles go out at night with nets and try to fish the rivers out of sight. And then if they saw headlights, they would scramble to get those nets hidden and out of place. My uncles hunted a lot and brought food to my grandmother and, and Indian families around in the area. We have been working on this thing called recognition for about 160 years. and We have been recognized as a federally recognized tribe, but the pent up energy from these displaced, and nearly extinct people was nuclear. As anyone who has ever gone down I-5 going north, you see the a Casino, that, uh, the purchase of the land, we had to buy back our own reservation. But that is phenomenal in the short amount of time since recognition to have come back so hard and so strong 10, 15 years ago, you never heard of the word Cowlitz, other than the Cowlitz River, Cowlitz County. You didn't know there was a tribe. You've never probably seen a Cowlitz person. Well, we have come back with strength and the the power of deprivation and desperation, and that's what a non-treaty tribe encounters.
1: That was Cowlitz spiritual leader Tana Engdahl speaking at a Confluence Story Gathering in Vancouver, Washington. A special thanks to our host for the Confluence Story Gathering, Washington State University, Vancouver, and to the presenting sponsor for the event, Humanities Washington. To find out more about Confluence and the five completed sites along the Columbia River system, check out our website, confluenceproject.org. Remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the friends of Confluence. And that's you. Join us today. Thanks for listening to the Confluence Story Gathering podcast. For more episodes, visit confluenceproject.org or wherever you get your podcasts.